While Cincinnatians have been gazing upwards at all their new tall buildings, they haven't noticed the most exciting construction of all, underground. Nothing on earth compares with what you will experience when you shop under the earth. Straight down, underground, where high prices will never see the light of day, where pollution is non-existent, and where the enormous energy savings of a naturally comfortable year-round climate get passed on to you. Does it sound unbelievable? Keep listening for more details as we approach the grand opening of... I'm sorry, we can't give it away just yet. But remember this name. Plummet Mall. The best value in town is a hole in the ground. Plummet Mall. Opening in Greater Cincinnati soon. Welcome to Tales, Tunes, and Tom Fullery, starring Jerry Springer, along with Gene Galvin and me. I'm Megan Hills. We're recorded live in front of a brilliant studio audience at the Folk School Coffee Parlor in Ludlow, Kentucky. My daddy came home. And now here he is, ladies and gentlemen, the one and the only Jerry Springer. Thank you. Thank you. You. And way in the back there, thank you. Yeah, way back there. Yeah. Hey, by the way, oh, he just left. There was an elderly gentleman that uh, when yeah, you guy, came in, had yeah. a hearing aid. What was that all about? I just the, saw the you talking to him. Gentleman, an older gentleman, and he had this new hearing aid, and, and he says, uh-huh. "Jerry, this is the finest hearing aid money can buy." Well, I didn't know what to say, so I said, oh, "Well, what kind is it?" He said, four o'clock." Okay, just wait for it. Whoever laughs, we know it's the first time here. (laughs) That's the test. That's the test. uh, I told that joke, surprisingly, when I was doing Price is Right this weekend. Yes. Cherokee, um, North Carolina. Oh, yeah, Smoky Mountains. Yes. Oh, it was beautiful there. Yep. uh, Native American Casino. Yes, that's where I was. Yeah, that's where we did the show. And... uh, they, I'm here to tell you, they laughed at that joke. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. There's the proof. Hey, Megan Hills normally gives the intro to Jerry and does a whole bunch of stuff on this show. Mm-hmm. She's the third member of our team, but uh, she's on a cruise. I think she's cruising for the next <laughs> two months. She just goes off, oh, I'm going yeah. on a cruise. Yeah, is this, is this in her contract? <laughs> I don't know. I've never yeah. had a contract with yeah. anybody who works for us. Well, she runs the HR department of yeah. Jerry Springer Podcast, so I yeah. guess her contract is whatever she wants it to be at any given moment. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> anyway, yes. so Megan's not here tonight. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I got to tell you something. I was thinking about my brother, Jerry. I have two brothers, uh, yes. Jerry and Jim. And uh, there's something that we're taught in Catholic schools. We all share the same God. You're Jewish, I'm Catholic, yes. but it's all Yahweh at the end yes. of the day, and the we're all day. going to the same place, aren't we? Well, I, I know may, we're going to heaven. I may, yeah. You and aren't I are we? going to the same place. <laughs> yeah, I, know, I don't want to include all the other no, people. That's unfair yeah, to them. Fair to them. But, so, uh, we were taught in Catholic schools that the Almighty God, all-knowing God, has given each family a picture, a receptacle, might, might be a big can or a box of creativity. 
and a family gets a finite amount of creativity, and they can use it as they choose. This is what you learned in Catholic school. I did. I did learn that seventh grade. Uh, and <laughs> my family, in the case of the Galvin family, uh, I have a brother, Jim. He has a PhD from Harvard yes. in science, yes. in nuclear physics, to be yeah, specific, exactly nuclear right. health. So he didn't use much of the creativity. He said, you guys go ahead. I'm, I'm okay. I'm going to go like another direction. Yeah. And my mom and dad didn't use much creativity. My damn brother, Jerry, used up a lot of it. That's why when I come in here and you're always bitching at me about come up with some new ideas. You've got right, zilch. About all I yeah. got is a, is a Ludlow City bus. Yeah. That's about all I got. Yeah. And it, that failed in four months. Yes. In my religious training, we call it bupkis. <laughs> but I got bupkis. <laughs> You've got bupkis. In my religion, we call it jack shit. Yeah. <laughs> That's about all yeah. we got. got but anyhow, bupkis. I got bupkis. Yeah. So, uh, and I presented my brother, because my brother uh, came up with the commercial we just heard for Plummet Mall in Cincinnati. Yes. And if you drive around Cincinnati today, all they'll say on these commercials, because it's all a mystery, is look for a big pile of dirt. And that's probably where they're building, because it hasn't opened yet, Plummet Mall. Yeah. Down underground. Oh, he yeah. and Jay Gilbert yeah. uh, are the ad men behind yeah. this. And so he has a lot of creativity. He my does. My brother Jerry has. And, and He's and, a star of my family. Well, not difficult to you don't want that. <laughs> and, and I noticed but you didn't was that you was didn't that argue whole, against that you just no, said well that's no but that's I not will hard. say it's not a, on high a serious bar. note for you know and I assume people outside of this area didn't know that but uh, there was this radio program um, at least 10 years ago on for quite some time on Sunday nights called the stupid Galvin brothers that was it that was you and uh, brother Jerry yeah and, in, and, and I'm saying that with you here, that was the most, it really was the most creative, offbeat, funny radio, period. I mean, there, you know, the morning shows now, the, the morning zoos, they're always trying to yeah. do, you guys were fantastic. And, uh, it was all my brother Jerry, though. I yeah. just came in. I was the second Well, voice. I assumed that. Yeah, and, right. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I, I think I paid my brother back one time yeah. because my, my field, my wheelhouse is education. Yes. And I uh, love working with kids my whole career who were hey, complicated lives. Hmm. I, and I love those kids, and I love them more because of what they came through to be what they were when I met them. And the crazier, the tougher, the more complicated, the better. So when I retired from Cincinnati Public, I uh, talked to a guy who was running a school for adjudicated felons, so teenagers who had committed felonies. So these right. were some troubled kids and, yep. and, some, and some really tough stuff. So I did the interview, and the guy said, dude, I want to hire. You're perfect for this. I wasn't going to run the school. I was going to actually work teaching the school. And he said, uh, the last thing you got to do, and we've all had to do it, and I mentioned this on another episode, is you got to take a lie detector test. And I said, he said, are you willing? Because a lot of people that he would interview, like, that was it. They departed at that yeah. point. I'm not taking a lie detector yeah. test for any job. Yeah. I said, I'll take it tomorrow. I'll take it this afternoon. I've always wanted to take one. Yeah. I think it would be an interesting life experience, and trust me, it was. And I go to this place a week or two later, a little, right out of TV, man, this little office, dark little office, one light bulb hanging down, dingy. 
And the guy starts and the guy sits behind you and he wires up all your vitals and you don't get to look at him and he starts asking these stupid questions like what's your name and where do you live and he's getting all the baseline data. And this is where I turned on my brother Jerry because he said to me, have you ever stolen from an employer? And I said, hell yes I have. Because I, I knew if you could take this test, tell the truth. Yeah. So I said, of course I have. And it was a long pause. Like, he said, well, like what? And I started telling him, you know, a little of this, a little of that, going back to when I was in college. I said, but my brother Jerry, and I said, he did, you know, you can't, I started to turn his face forward. Yeah. I said, his name is Jerry Galvin. <laughs> he lives on a street called oh, Onanta yeah. on the east side of Cincinnati. Yeah. And I saw him. This is the truth. My brother Jerry, when he was in college and I was in college, we were working in this shoe store in Cincinnati. Yeah. When his girlfriends would say, Jerry, uh, we're going out Saturday night. I need a new pair of white leather heels. He'll say, I got it. He'd walk over, slide out like a 6B, walk through the back door and put him in his Triumph sports car. He put him in his car. And I said, what the hell are you doing? He told me, he says, it's kind of like if we were working in a restaurant and you wanted it, you were thirsty, you could go over and just draw a Coke. And he said, that's just, you know, how it works. So I just threw, I told him, I, I think he stole maybe $200 that I could witness. And I'm saying that now on a podcast, because if I can get my brother Jerry out of circulation, I don't think there's much creativity left for my family. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You just threw him under the bus. Uh, totally. I got to yeah. get him out of circulation. Well, this is a town to throw him under the bus because we don't have any here. No, well, there is no right. Lodo City <laughs> yeah. bus. And uh, so anyway. So you um, just, you, you yeah. turned on your brother. Like well, that. Yeah, I, I had to. I had to. And by the way, we have. I'm uh, nervous now. No, you got nothing to worry about. <laughs> yeah, because you're family too. Yeah. You are family yeah, too. You you're using a lot of the second. damn creativity yeah. also. Oh, man. My hey, job. by the way, yeah. Joe's Truck Stop is coming up. Let's hear from Joe's Truck Stop. So we, we love it as we do this podcast. We always promote an up-and-coming group from around the country. Joe's Truck Stop actually uh, is from this area. And uh, real fast, uh, his story is trained at the Berkeley School of Music up in New York, is, is, Boston. in Boston. Thank you from the audience, uh, an assist uh, <laughs> from Harold from, in Boston. And... Uh, Trains is like a classical violinist, and he can do that if okay. he needs to. But he also is a wonderful, I uh, call it Americana fiddler. He's got this group um, uh, along with uh, Andy, also known as Feats, and uh, they're going to perform in a little bit. And Jerry, what I want to ask you to do is uh, something that I've been noticing, and you've noticed it, and I'd love to hear your comments on this. But over time, the Republican Party after the Civil Rights Act of 1954, when they got the South, yeah. Democrats kind of gave yeah. it to them and said, yeah. take it. And um, they've always struggled with an image of, are they tolerant of prejudice, racial prejudice, and even racism, and even institutional racism makes it even worse. And are we seeing some things today with Donald Trump at the top? It's his Republican Party now. Are we seeing that even more clearly? What's your take on that? Yeah, and well, let me say this. It's, it's beyond politics. It's, in a sense, it's cultural. And many of us, and many people, 
in the whole society of being kind of being sucked into this. Let me explain what I'm trying to say. I'm not saying, so let me start out with a disclaimer. I am not saying, I am not saying, I am not saying that if you're a conservative, therefore you're a racist, okay? So I'm not saying that, of course not. What I am saying is that in American history, the conservative movement has always been more tolerant of mistreatment of minorities. They just either don't put it on their rate, you know, some obviously are very much racist, some, and others just don't pay much attention to the issue. They're not bent out of shape if there's a great injustice. And so historically, obviously, the conservatives were the ones back in the 1800s and 1700s that, that supported slavery. They fought in the Civil War. Um, after the, the Civil War, later on, the Jim Crow laws, conservatives were in favor of that. The conservatives op opposed um, the Civil Rights Act, the uh, Public Accommodations Act, the Voting Rights Act, you know, anything which seemed to help minorities, voter registration efforts, conservatives, and to the extent they're reflected in the Republican Party, seem to always be on that side of an issue that involves racial injustice. And that's just statistically accurate. That's, that part is not an opinion. What concerns me is that it has been a part of our culture for so long that it has seeped into the mainstream that many people in the society, not necessarily even conservatives, just many white Americans, we become, we don't recognize or we aren't conscious or it isn't on our radar screen when something has racial implications and it just doesn't grab us. I'll, for example, and I think I've mentioned this before with Katrina 10, 12 years ago, and when you had the horrible Hurricane Katrina and what it did in the South to New Orleans and Mississippi, well, you remember in New Orleans, they took 10,000 people and put them in the Superdome. 10,000 people. 99% of them were African American. And they were there for several days. And they were running out of water. There was no air conditioning. I mean, it was just horrible, horrible they didn't have uh, bathrooms of, uh, working. It was just a horrible situation. And somehow we couldn't get our act together and get the necessary helicopters there, buses there, whatever. And the example I always used, and you know, we were getting reports about what was going on, but the administration and frankly much of the country didn't seem too bent out of shape. They, oh, it's a horrible, hope the, you know, they get these people out and then on to the ball game or whatever else you were doing that day. And I always give the example, imagine if the 10,000 people in the Superdome were 10,000 white, uh, blonde-haired cheerleaders, high school cheerleaders, 10,000 of them in that Superdome. Can anyone honestly say that if there were 10,000 white, blonde, high school cheerleaders in the Superdome, that they would have been there for three days, four days, without being rescued? Come on. Every single vehicle in this country, boats, planes, helicopters, whatever, would be there to get them out. In other words, our response would have been, oh my God, this is the worst thing that ever happened. 
and that is part of our sensitivity. The reaction wasn't the same when they were all poor black people. Just this past six months, I'll give you two things that have happened. And I just read this one report. You know, a couple of weeks ago, Roseanne was uh, canceled because of racist tweets she put out, and there had been a stream of them over, over the past few years. So her show got canceled. And that week was also the week that we discovered that in Puerto Rico, nearly 5,000 people died because of the hurricane. Not 20 or whatever the original number was, but 5,000. That story, they measured it, was covered on the network news 30 minutes for the week. 30 minutes of coverage on what happened to Puerto Rico. American citizens, who happened to be non-white, got 30 minutes coverage. Roseanne being canceled got 30 hours. That's our culture. Somehow, that was a bigger story than 5,000 American citizens dying because of a slow response and an inadequate response to the hurricane in Puerto Rico. Now, the canceling of Roseanne is a private enterprise decision, and a company has the right to do that. ABC is in the business to make money. It's a private company. And so it, can, it makes a decision based on, is this going to hurt our audience? Will this negatively affect our business? So they made the decision. They better cut their losses right away. And there went the Roseanne show. It was a business decision. Conservatives were really ticked off and said, how could you cancel? You know, because she was a big backer of Trump and a very conservative show, and she had these racist tweets. And the conservative says, you cancel her. But then Samantha Bee, a late-night comedian, said this awful thing about um, Ivanka Trump. Uh, and she used a curse word, the C word, which you don't ever use. And she wasn't canceled. Obviously, there's a difference, a late-night comedian on a show where there's cursing going on all the time. That was a, a cursing, which is a different thing than something that is totally racist. But here's the problem. Put that together with the NFL decision that same week. The NFL, which said to the football players, you, take a, you cannot take a knee out on the field during the national anthem or your team will be heavily fined. If you feel like you can't stand, you've got to stay in the locker room until the national anthem is over. Now, this is my opinion. I don't have empirical evidence. It is just my opinion. But my opinion is that this reaction that so many people have to the taking of a knee would not be the case if the guy that originally took the knee was a white quarterback. He'd get booed. There'd be letters to the editor. But you wouldn't get the kind of comments you get now on these call-in radio talk shows. And how many times have you heard since the football players started taking a knee, well, those black guys, they're making millions. They should be grateful they're living in this country. Look at the life they had. What are they speaking out? In fact, one radio talk show host said that uh, 
LeBron James, who made a comment supporting them, that LeBron James should just shut up and dribble. It's this attitude which has spread out beyond politics into the culture where instinctively much of our population just, there's almost an inner resentment that black people protest. Black Lives Matter, big protest, you know, and everyone gets angry. What are they doing causing all this trouble? How dare these athletes disrespect the flag? Tom Brokaw wrote that great book, uh, The Greatest Generation. You know who was part of the greatest generation and perhaps the most courageous? The black soldiers during World War II. Can you imagine black soldiers going off, fighting to defend this country, many of them getting killed, maimed, wounded, coming back, and when they came back after fighting off Hitler or the Japanese, after doing that, they come back to America and they couldn't go to the movie theater, they couldn't drink from the same water fountain, they weren't allowed to live in the same neighborhoods, they couldn't go to the same schools. Think about that. You, you risk your life for a country that treats you like that when you come back? How dare we question the patriotism of minorities in America when we have to be honest and say they really haven't been treated that well over the centuries? And that's, so I don't think it's about the national anthem. It's the resentment that rich black athletes are speaking out. And yet, if we look at our history, they have been the leaders in the civil rights movement because they are the only people, at least initially, in the position of power and influence and recognition that can bring the issue to bear. Jackie Robinson in baseball, Muhammad Ali, the two um, Olympians, I think in 1976, that raised their fist. One was named Tommy Smith, I think. I apologize for not remembering the names of those two. But this continues, and now we're yelling at LeBron James and the football players because of what they're doing. We, as a society, have to be much more sensitive. It's not enough to go home and say, well, I'm not a racist. I never mistreat a black person or a, or a Puerto Rican or a Hispanic person or whatever, or a Muslim. No, 99% of us don't. But that's not good enough. It's we have to recognize as a society how insensitive we are to the pain that they're not making it up. Why would they bother to make it up? to be hated by society, to get booed. Obviously, if they're going through all this, they must mean it. And that's the lesson I'm getting from the NFL boycott. That was a good one. As uh, we asked Joe and Andy to come up, uh, let me mention, I joke around, Megan Hill's who is a HR professional, is uh, traveling this week. And so uh, she does take a lot of cruises, Jerry. I mean, she does she take a lot of does. cruises. She does. 
Yeah. But she's but she takes them very nicely. She takes them nicely. <laughs> and one other one other thing I want to mention is we played uh, and you may hear it again and some other versions of it. Uh, Plummet Mall commercial. Those were done by Jerry Galvin, my brother. I love my brother. Yeah. Super creative. Jay Gilbert, his partner back then on this uh, activity. And by the way, that was funded in 1984. That commercial's from 1984. Isn't that interesting? That really is. And it yeah. was uh, funded by a conglomeration of radio stations in Cincinnati who wanted to prove during the doldrums of the winter when everything's kind of quieted down, people aren't going outside, not much fun being had, to show the power of radio that if this only ran on radio stations, and it did, and the whole city was buzzing about where the hell Plummet, is this mall? Plummet, Plummet, and yeah. uh, that, that was 1984, and uh, so good for those, all those radio stations that came together, hired uh, and had enough wisdom to hire somebody from the Galvin family. <laughs> Along with Jay Gilbert. Imagine that. They and, figured you had time available. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <clears throat> hey, Joe Masherat. Hello, Joe. Hello, hey, Joe. Andy. How you guys doing? Now, these are members of Joe's Truck Stop. You may have other members in addition to you guys. or We not? do. All right. But, yep. but you guys are performing tonight, which we're very appreciative of. Mm -hmm. And can I hype this Joe's Truck Stop Hype it up, album? Yeah. So for Facebook Live, uh, this is called American Dreams. You can get it, by the way, at Folk School Coffee Parlor. Do you have another place people can download it off? You can download it anywhere online, and you can order physical copies from our Bandcamp page. Good deal. Jo and that's Joe's Truck Stop. <clears throat> Joe's Truck Stop. And uh, we love these guys. They are well-known in this greater Cincinnati area, but they tour all over the place around the country. And uh, Joe's gonna and Andy are gonna do a song. What are you gonna do? Uh, well, we're gonna do one that we're gonna dedicate to Ross Raleigh, who was the owner of the Southgate House Revival, and he just passed away last week. I d hold on, I didn't know that. Yeah. And I saw you because we we're Facebook friends. Mentioned something about peaks and valleys of the last week. Mm. That's clearly one of the one of the well, valleys. That's one of them. So yeah. how how old of a guy was he? I think he was seventy. Three? Okay, oh. and this came kind of suddenly? Uh, or had Around been... Jerry's age? I'm yeah, but, <laughs> just saying. <laughs> just I'm 65, so yeah, that relates no, more to Jerry than I, that. I passed 73. <laughs> okay, yeah. okay. Then you're Jerry. good. Then you're good. You're good. Hey, no, Joe. I'm on borrowed time now. No, Jerry passed away about two years ago, by the way. <laughs> but I knew it! <laughs> you knew I knew it! it. Uh, did he die suddenly, or do you know uh, that? I don't, I don't know the whole story. Well, that's sad, yeah. because the yeah. Southgate Revival... House Southgate House Revival is a great place for roots music in yeah. this greater Cincinnati area. Yeah, so it's a legendary uh, venue. All right, so uh, uh, song dedicated to the owner that died. Yep, this is uh, it's called the Moon Sang. It's on the CD. This goes out to anybody that's not with us that we love and miss.
Uh, Joe and Andy of uh, Joe's Truck Stop, and that, that is from job. your wow. uh, album yeah. American Dreams, mm -hmm. uh, and a great tribute Thank to uh, yeah. a guy that's uh, ran and in the place still lives on uh, Southgate House Revival. Jerry, as these guys are playing, I can't help think this because we're both 74. I'm about to go yeah. to 75. These guys are 20-something, 30-something. I don't know how old you guys are, but you're – how old are you? I'm 27. 27, 27 late 20s? That's disgusting. And 
Those guys, Jerry, are playing music in the exact style that oh, when yeah. we came out of college, we were trying to play. That, and you're way, way better than we are. Uh, but it is so incredibly cool for us older folkies to hear this stuff. And that's kind of bluegrassy, Americana yeah. style. It lives it's on. It's great. It really, that's a great song yeah. performed very tightly. I love it. Would you take us out on Down by the Riverside and would you allow Jerry Springer to jump in on the second verse and see if he can destroy it? W while, I'm while I'm still here. Yeah. <laughs> G, G good? L sharp is fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. G will be good. I'm gonna lay down my hand below and by the riverside Oh, 